Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Welcome to this week's edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. And I'm going to start today's program with some bad news, followed by some really good news. The bad news in the United States anxieties are hitting epidemic levels Forty million Americans suffer from an anxiety each year, and that's 16% of us. And rather than reduce anxiety, traditional prolonged psychoanalysis talk therapy can trigger even more anxiety over time, not just with the time spent, but also how you're going to pay for all of it. And anxiety medications sometimes do work, but they have problematic side effects. And because anxiety drugs are designed to alleviate symptoms, not to get to the root causes, when anxiety lingers, it's all too easy to become addicted. And here's another another troubling fact. Countless folks suffering from anxiety don't even try to get treated because they lack a simple, focused, relatively inexpensive solution until now. And here's the really great news. Today's guest, Robert T. London, M.D., a veteran psychiatrist with over 40 years of practice, is here to introduce his three-step method that empowers anxiety sufferers to help themselves with little or no medication and far less therapy. And better yet, Dr. London's three-step method helps sufferers say goodbye to anxiety, phobias, PTSD, and insomnia for good at a far lower cost and in the comfort of their own home. Sounds hard to beat, <clears throat> and I'll introduce you to Dr. London in a moment, but first here are his credentials. He's an internationally renowned psychiatrist, educator, and writer. He's been a practitioner for over 40 years. Dr. London is founder and former head of the short-term psychotherapy unit at NYU Langone Medical Center, and uh, his articles and columns appear both in esteemed medical journals and in popular magazines, and he appears frequently on national TV and radio, and he has a brand-new book titled Find Freedom Fast, Short-Term Therapy That Works. And hello, Dr. London. We're deeply honored to have you with us here today. Thank you very much, sir, for having me. I appreciate uh, the time you're giving me, and I certainly appreciate the wonderful build-up you gave me. That was really nice of you. Well, let's get down to where the rubber meets the road. You label your new three-step method as LPA. Please tell us what each of the three letters stands for. Well, L is for learning, P is for philosophizing, and A is for action. And it's a spin-off on what's very popular today called cognitive behavior therapy, CBT. And it's my way over the last 15, 20, 25, 30 years of developing short-term psychotherapy techniques to circumscribe the problem and treat it without going into the vast reaches of why we're here and who we like and who we don't like and being (laughs) angry at people and just focus it like the rest of medicine does. If you have a sore shoulder, 
you treat the shoulder. The shoulder may be fixed in one visit. It may get more complicated. Yeah. But when you when you have the sore shoulder, the treating person doesn't go look at your foot necessarily, you know. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is um, to circumscribe anxiety or the specific anxiety issue, to circumscribe a phobia, including post-traumatic stress disorder, and to make it work. That doesn't mean that some people don't need longer-term therapy. Yeah. But in my opinion, far more would benefit by being a good consumer and being able to, you know, ask, are you, is this going to be short-term? Uh, I want to fix the leak in the roof. I don't want to take the whole house apart. Yeah. Well, uh, before we explore it in uh, more detail, uh, is it possible to launch the LPA method on our own without prior consultation from a therapist? And does your new book, Find Freedom Fast, provide all the instruction a listener would need to get started, or, uh, or do you have to see a professional first? Well, I, I, that's a great question because I, I think it varies. I think for some people, they need to see a professional to get into the rhythm of stuff. And for other people, the book may provide a roadmap or a menu for what they can do for their specific problem. And, and once again, it's not a, um, it's not a universal uh, kind of statement that this book will cure X, Y, Z. The book gives you a, a roadmap for you to go there and if it fits, but if you need the professional help, the, the point is to be a good consumer and ask what kind of help you're going to get. As, as we would, you know, you go to a lawyer to draw up a brand new will, and if the lawyer starts talking about real estate, you may be in the wrong office. Yeah, trying uh, to sell you a new home. <laughs> <laughs> well, where would, if, if I, not everyone can have the time or afford to travel to New York for therapy. Is there some way we could find a, therapists in our geographical area, wherever that may be, that uh, would practice this CBT or this, best of all, your LPA method. I don't know how broadly well, that's. I, I, th I think you call, I think local hospitals uh, have will have a list of who does what. I think uh, local medical societies will give you a list. Oh. I think um, the American Psychiatric Association or the American Psychological Association would have a list where you could kind of delineate who is doing what kind of therapy and you know try and go for the shortest version first it may be it doesn't work out um, an awful lot of people are getting medications one two three for stuff primary care doctors psychiatrists are using a lot of medications many times the medications work but many times you can do something without meds and many people many people would like to do something without taking a pill um, and this just offers another possibility. And if there's some problems or illnesses in any medical specialty, whether it's uh, high blood pressure, heart disease, arthritis, where, you know, the medicines are life-saving, including in the mental health and psychiatry field, for certain things, the medicines are life-saving. But there are other areas where uh, one can use their own resources to fulfill their greatest potential and get rid of a phobic problem or get rid of an anxiety problem. Yeah. And uh, move forward and be the best they can be in, in the in, in, in the dance of life as we go through it. Especially when you get more wisdom and you get into a middle age area where you're oftentimes wisdom and choices become greater because you can you understand life a lot better. Yeah, that's true. Well, if we may, I'd like to focus briefly on each of the three LPA steps. And step one tells us to learn. And what are some of the questions we should ask ourselves? 
in order to take a focused look on uh, on the anxiety problem. Well, yeah, I, let me talk about a gentleman who had a terrible fear of dogs. <laughs> and he and he was just really phobic. He'd walk down the street, he'd see a dog, he'd cross the street. He just would avoid dogs, avoid dogs. And it got to a point where a good friend of his invited him for a weekend to another city, someone he had room with at college, blah, 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 the whole story. <laughs> and he he found out his friend had a dog. Oh, my God. And now he was in a real bind because he can't be around dogs. He's yeah. terrified. He's phobic. He avoids them. Yeah. And so we used the we sat around and we found out that as he grew up, and this doesn't take twelve years of of digging, yeah. you know, this is not a, a machine that digs and digs. We found out he was very clear that his mother and grandmother, who he grew up with, did not like dogs. Huh. Well, what happened is this learning experience, learning, turned into a phobia for him, oh, and okay. to philosophize. He was able to take a broader picture and see how it affected many, many other things. In a very short time, he was able to see this. So we have the learning aspect. We make the bigger picture where he just philosophized how it's influencing him, and now it's keeping him from going to visit a friend. Yeah, so in other words, you, to, you, you pinpoint where the anxiety comes from. That would be the learn, and then you philosophize whether that still makes sense to you today that uh, whether you want to continue with that. Uh. So instead of beating up on his mother and his grandmother and making them, you know, the, which which you can spend a lot of time and a lot of hours and a lot of money uh, saying, oh, how could they do this? Didn't they realize every time they told you that dogs were dangerous and scary and they didn't like them and they shed and they drool? And then, you you know, there's no reason to be angry at people you love. Yeah. And who basically treated you well. You know, they paid, for, they, they got you food, they got you clothes, they sent you to school, they took you to the doctor when you didn't feel well. These are good people. But what happens is oftentimes you start in this open-ended therapy, and for some people it will work, okay? Yeah. So here we have the learning, we have the philosophizing. Now we're going to get into the A, which is the action. Yeah. What are you going to do? So it's very simple. I, I had this man look at some very uh, powerful, prominent books on dogs. It might have been through the American Kennel Club. And he got to see the pictures. So now he he was very safe in his home, sitting in a chair, looking at dogs. And the the, the treatment was, you do this every day, every evening. Whenever you have time, look at the collie, look at the German Shepherd, look at the Bernese Mountain Dog, look at the Poodle. And so he got comfortable turning the pages, looking at the dogs. Now, the real problem and the real issue had to, to desensitize him from a real dog. Do you have any neighbors or friends who have a dog? Yes, I do. I have a friend who has a dog. Well, would you be willing to ask your friend to help you overcome this phobic response? And he says, yes. So the way you do it, and this is a behavior modification approach, yeah. to assuage his phobia, assuage the anxiety. Remember, the phobia becomes the fear. Yeah. It starts out with the fear of the dog, but then the phobia itself uh, is what you're uh, uh, fearful of. Yeah. And the more you uh, uh, use that phobia, the more it becomes part of you, the stronger it gets. Yeah. So the idea is to try and find a rational way. Now that he's comfortable looking at pictures, we set up a scenario with a friend who we can trust who will have their dog 
and this is not an attack dog, on a leash. Hopefully it's not a pet bull. <laughs> right. It's, it's on a leash, and this is an incredible, uh, important step. He approaches the dog in a very slow manner. It's never good for the dog on the leash to approach him because yeah. that can be – we want to keep the nidus of control in his hands. Yeah. And this could take a week. This could take two weeks. But if the friend agrees, they can practice this every single day with him getting closer and closer to the dog. And the dog, we're talking about a good-natured, normal, everyday, most often these dog, dogs are, best yeah. friend of man and woman. The dog is wagging its tail, looks like it has a smiley face, until he reaches the point, if possible, where he can actually pet the dog. Yeah. And and then he's made the breakthrough. Yeah. Obviously, he continued to do this, and this particular situation worked out very successfully. So this was short-term with a long-term phobic problem, and he was able to move on to visit the friend who had the dog. The friend was well aware of his uh, phobia, past phobia, and was not going to insist that um, he sit with his dog on, on his lap. Yeah. So everyone is working harmoniously with the person who's got the problem, and yeah. it worked out. That's that's an example of the learning, the philosophizing, and the action. I liked under your uh, ACT uh, session you talked about probable versus possible. Tell us a little about that uh, That tool oh, you that, can use. Oh, that's an interesting thing I, I, I worked out. So many people who have um, obsessive thoughts or phobic thoughts um, uh or anxiety situations, you know, uh, the plane, the people worry about planes, it's just my luck, uh, the captain will have had a fight with their significant other and not pay attention or something like that. Um, we say that things are always possible. It's possible that the sun won't rise tomorrow. But what's the probability, okay? And we can take that and we can introduce a a person who, for example, is afraid to drive over a bridge. Yeah. Okay? And um, the bridge has been up for 45 years, for example. I'm making up that number. And it's possible something could happen to the bridge, okay? But what's the probability? The probability is very, very limited. And so what you're doing here with the LPA or cognitive behavior therapy is you're giving someone uh, intellectually a new perspective on the old set of problems. It's not focusing on how did you feel and did it remind you of um, when your uncle wasn't nice to you at a baseball game and didn't buy you a hot dog. It's it's not going in in those directions. It could have value for some. Those directions might have value for some people. But here you're, you're focusing just on the possibility and the probability, okay? And what happens is healthy, normal people who have a specific problem like this can actually start to focus on it. And this is a new vocabulary. If if you're an insurance salesperson or a car salesperson or or an accountant or a lawyer, you you don't hear these kind of words all the time. So now you're motivated to get help. This is a big key that we're discussing, motivation. Um, You know, it's like if you're motivated to stop smoking or if you're motivated to stop eating bad food, motivation is a powerful influence on on helping you overcome these issues. So 
here you have a situation where someone is motivated, they want the help, and now you've introduced a new perspective with words on an old set of problems. Is it possible the bridge will fall down or something will happen? Oh, of course, anything's possible. Is it probable after 45 years? And, and we, the same thing would apply with this particular person I have in mind, also worried about tunnels. Yeah. And it was very interesting because when I reflect on this, this is a person who could easily go over a bridge or a tunnel in a bus. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting how, how different people have different dynamics. With, surrounded with people in the comfort of other human beings, it worked. But the person needed to be in a car because at this, this particular junction, the person uh, was, a, was actually a divorce attorney and had to carry lots of stuff with oh. them. Yeah. And therefore, the car was important. And besides that, possibilities versus probabilities, I also introduced a, a relaxation technique. Some people will refer to it as hypnosis, where the person uh, learned how to relax and imagine a great big movie screen. And on the movie screen, they could put a thick line down the center. And on one side of the screen, they could imagine seeing themselves getting anxious the day before or the morning before they had to travel through a tunnel. Yeah. Um, and on the right side, they could shift over to very pleasant scenes. And oftentimes, most often, um, anxiety is incompatible with pleasant scenes. So if you can practice this screen thing four, five, six times a day, it can help you... Uh, Visual, you visualize it, it can help you overcome the problem when you really have to go through the tunnel or drive over the bridge. Yeah, if, you, uh, if he lives in New Jersey and works you, in New York, he probably has to do it every day. <laughs> right, right. Obviously, you don't, you don't do this when you're driving. But the point is, um, so you, one thing is the possibilities and probabilities. The other thing is desensitizing the person through a visualization. And for many people, the visualizations will work. And this is what you offer somebody. It's a short-term situation, and not everyone is going to respond and get better. But enough people will so they can overcome this and move on to the, the greater potential in life and not be bogged down with these well, issues. Now that we've been, been introduced to the LPA method, how many times a week, how long each session, and for how many weeks do you uh, recommend of course, that depends on the individual, of course, but uh, Absolutely. on average, no, how many you, weeks do you perform these three you, steps? Your point is well taken. It depends on each individual. When I started my career, uh, uh, my, my dad was a surgeon, and I was interested, oh. as was my uncle. My, my dad was an eye, eye surgeon, actually, your uncle, a general surgeon. And my, my father, I, I liked surgery a lot, but I realized um, after doing a lot of surgical electives in medical school, uh, it wasn't for me. I liked watching it. So yeah. when I trained at NYU Medical Center, the NYU Langone Medical Center, the way I started to develop the short-term therapy program was it was one-visit smoking cessation. Oh. I gave the person and I had the, the, the other trainees doing this, teaching someone how to stop the smoking by linking it to respecting and protecting the body, their body, which is the vehicle that expresses life. So that was a one-shot thing. When we expanded into phobias and anxiety and stuff like that, obviously it gets longer, but your point is well taken, um, uh, that it depends on the individual. And I, I would say sometimes a person gets it inside of three or four visits. Sometimes you're talking about 
two months or three months. Sometimes you're talking about two months and they're better. And like with any doctor, if you have something that recurs, you come back. So the, the message is clear. You don't have to be sitting in an office for a year or two or three um, on this problem. If it resolves in your month or your two months, and then a year later you're suddenly back with it, you make another visit. Yeah. Oftentimes the mental health field hasn't worked that way. Um, if you have high blood pressure, you may have to go back once a month, and someone may have to go back once a year. Um, so, but we never, we never make a big deal out of, well, I have to go back to see the doc again. My back, is, my back got better, but it's still acting up. Yeah. Well, if your vulnerability is anxiety, well, I was good for a year and a half. I better go back. And sometimes in one or two visits, you reinforce what you did the first time around. So I think uh, mental health has to come around full circle to be more like that. For many of these instances, just yeah. like in medicine, other medical fields, some, some care on a regular basis may be necessary depending on what the problems are. Does that make any good sense yeah, to you? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Well, let's talk to me about your great new book, Find Freedom Fast and Short-Term Therapy That Works. Who is your book primarily written for? Is it intended for fellow mental health professionals, or can lay readers like me also benefit? Oh, absolutely. I've been writing newspaper columns for about 35 years, and I decided to put this all into a book form a few years ago. And basically... What I do, what makes this Find Freedom Fast different is I, I, it's, it's in three stages. One, it tells how I got to be a psych, why, why and how I got to be a psychiatrist with my father, a surgeon, who was a little disappointed, but then became a full supporter of it and really uh, was terrific. And he pointed out to me, and I, I thank him, he's not with me anymore, but he pointed out, that if you're going to go into psychiatry, and he was seeing people in hospitals for long periods of time, he was seeing people not feeling well on a medical a medicine side effects, yeah. and then he was seeing people in this endless flow of going on forever, uh, like like a movie somewhere. And uh, he said, learn how to do something different. And I, I took that advice and I followed it. I hooked up with a great doctor, uh, a legendary person at, at New York Columbia. Presbyterian, Herb Spiegel, Dr. Herb Spiegel, and through him, I spent five, six years with him uh, teaching with with his continuing medical education courses and um, learned a lot about behavior modification, cognitive therapy, which hadn't become popularized at the time, and was introduced to his way of scientifically doing hypnosis and relaxation. And then I transferred my work over to um, NYU, where I had trained originally, and started the program, and that that's part of the book. And then I describe in the book what anxiety is like, what phobias are like, what PTSD is like. And then the third part of the book um, goes into um, various co- uh, composites of examples of how people can use these techniques. So the book really is for the profession if they're interested, and it's also for any reader including yourself, as you just pointed out, to be able to glean something from it. And sometimes it, it isn't it, just packed full of theory and medical jargon, is it? I know you have some, not, a lot no, of no, real-life stories, and uh, you also, I think, it's, have some easy-to-follow exercises that can help along in uh, overcoming anxiety or whatever the, the it's problem It's meant is. to help somebody. It, it's, not, it's not exactly a menu, 
but it's meant to help somebody. You know, if you read a travel book, for example, and you see about beautiful photos and you read about lovely things in a certain country, it can um, change your point of view about a country and you could want to go there. Yeah. Uh, you want to take a vacation there. You read about something and you could say, just this, this sounds like almost like me. Look what happened with this man or woman and I can do it too. Because one of the great things we have going for us, and this is all of us, is we have our brains. And we have the ability to, to have a new perspective on the old set of problems. Not everyone can do this. There are some folks who just want to do, as you probably know as, as well as I, yes, but. Everything you say to them, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. And they're, they're, not, they're not the easiest to work with, but sometimes if they get motivated, They'll stop the yes, but go into a, a good strategy to help themselves. So, I, I, I think I think the book is 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 good, and I, I think uh, um, I, I was interested in your title. Um, and a middle age can be your best age because one of the great things about middle age or even older is wisdom. You learn so much. Uh, not everyone's going to listen to you, especially your children, but um, oftentimes, you know. Someone asks you about an insurance policy, and even though you're not an insurance salesperson or part of an insurance company, you've had a few policies and you have some wisdom there. Yeah. And I think that wisdom can apply to seeking out mental health without making it a stigma. Looking, you know, I for two visits, I went for three months, and it got resolved. And yeah. you don't hear people talking that way, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, where's the best here. place for our listeners to go to preview and purchase your book? Where, where's the best place to do uh, that? The book is for sale on the book is for sale on Amazon. Um, uh, just uh, it's on Find Freedom Fast. It's for sale on Amazon, and there is a website uh, also called FindFreedomFast.com, and the book is available. Um, and so far, a number of people who've read it seem to seem to like it. So yeah, I'm okay that with that. And findfreedomfast.com website that has information about you and your book. I guess that'd be a good place to it, start it, if somebody. It does. It it does. And Amazon has a little blurb on it and you can order the book, I believe, on both 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 the the website as well as Amazon. Well that's great. Well to conclude this segment for anyone out there suffering from anxiety, I love the way Dr. Robert London sums it up. To quote, an unsolved problem stands in the way of your happiness. It's messing up your life. And the goal of LPA is to fix that problem so that you can find freedom fast. But here's the silver lining. The result I've found is far larger than the solution itself. And once the problem is solved, my patients are happier and they can move on with their lives. And if at middle age you're frozen in place by fear of failure or general anxiety over every possible thing that could go wrong, there's no reason in the world to let that stop you and not to try out Dr. London's three-step method. And to learn more, simply visit findfreedomfast.com or amazon.com and preview and purchase his book. And you have much to gain and absolutely nothing to lose. And thank you a million, Dr. London, for uh, being with us today, best of success in all that you do. Thank you so much for your time. On last week's program, I talked about four common excuses for not taking time out to contemplate, then take initial steps to move on to life's Act 3, joyful, stress-free living on your own terms with greater love for self and for others, more flexibility, fewer deadlines, less stuff, 
and a spiritual connection helping to guide your journey. Today I'm going to discuss four more common excuses and why none of them really make any sense. The next excuse, number five, is one often uttered by sincere people of faith, be they Christians, Jews, Muslims, uh, Buddhists, whatever, and that is God will change me if it's God's will. Now, I greatly admire folks who, like me, believe in a loving, supreme being, active in human affairs. I believe in a God who desires that every human being on this planet experience peace, balance, love, harmony, and fulfillment in life. But I also believe in a God who has created all of us in God's own image with tremendous individual talents, emotions, and capabilities. And then God grants us the free will to make our own choices and ultimately determine our own destiny. And what I'm saying is, if you are a person of faith, regularly pray to God, listen attentively to God's responses, venture forward with God, but please don't sit back waiting for God to do all the work. I can't imagine that God wants any of us sitting around idly waiting for life's circumstances to improve. I firmly believe that God will help instill a positive attitude within every man and woman who diligently searches for and visualizes midlife renewal and employs almost limitless resources, both as an individual and in cooperation with other humans. And as an enlightened person, your challenge is to tap more effectively into those boundless resources. A reawakened spirit does not guarantee uninterrupted joy, peace, and prosperity, of course, Bad things do indeed happen to good people, but it does guarantee unwavering inner strength and the ability to bounce back, shaken along with the rest by natural disasters, violence, life-threatening illness, death of a loved one, uh, uh, competent, positive, spiritually grounded individuals take a long-term view, dust themselves off, then in cooperation with others and guided by the Spirit, Uh, They launch a spirited and sustained journey to recovery. And above all, erase the crazy notion that God or fate is holding you back. And the only thing you can do is lay back in fear or frustration until God makes something good happen. As the old joke goes, don't depend upon God to uh, let you win the lottery jackpot until you first go out and buy a ticket. And here's one of my all-time favorite excuses, number six, good old if only. You know, the I would renew if only excuse is a first cousin to one we talked about last week, I will renew when. And if anything, the if only excuse is even more counterproductive because when at least leaves open the remote possibility that positive transformation will occur at some point. In contrast, if only bitterly laments a past mistake, luck of the draw, a genetic defect, or past misfortune, and implies that somehow this precludes the opportunity for a better life, and that opportunity is gone forever. You undoubtedly have heard one or more if only excuse. If only I had finished my education. If only I were computer literate. If only I had been born better looking, weren't so short, weren't so big, didn't look so bad in a dress, didn't look so fat in a suit, whatever the the excuse may be. If only I were younger, if only I had your brains, if only I weren't so nervous around other people. 
pure and simple, the if-only excuse is a rationalization for making no attempt to transform your life for the better. Uh, If you blame circumstances or someone else, you can avoid taking responsibility for feeling miserable, can't you, and for not trying to do better. Uh, But what does if-only accomplish? Actually, nothing at all. In the extreme, it is a guaranteed formula for failure, for leaving the world at journey's end, feeling unworthy and unfulfilled, and past retirement over our last few years, if only more often than not, converts to the mournful refrain, refrain, I could have been. In truth, if only, and its close relative, I'm just not good enough, reflect deep down undoubtedly unwarranted personal impressions of unworthiness. And these impressions may have been implanted often unintentionally by our parents or maybe a preschool teacher in our subconscious when we were real small children. And I ask you to trust me. I've been there and done that. Your subconscious fear of success, that nagging inner critic, can be overcome. And at least for now, please set aside every one of your if-only reservations and let's get down to work exploring and visualizing your life's opportunities. And here's excuse number seven. I'm just a little person. Well, let's bury once and for all the crazy notion that the president, Congress, your governor, your mayor, or any other so-called mover or shaker is in control of your personal destiny or happiness. Putting personal political views aside, please ask yourself, am I truly more or less happy and fulfilled in my daily living with Donald Trump as president or uh, Barack Obama as president? And if the answer really is yes or no, how much did the president really have to do with it? The truth of the matter is you you are nothing or you're anything but a little person to the people you spend time with every day, your spouse and kids, the men and women you work with, your best friends who you hang out with. In truth, every one of us is equal in the eyes of God. We all know that. And as an individual seeking a joyful, carefree Act 3, you need not amass wealth or fame to assume control of your emotions and to give and receive wholehearted love and respect in your little corner of the world. And our world is not a zero-sum game. Your personal happiness and well-being does not detract in any way from the joy and well-being of others. In fact, your positive outlook on living and caring for others in a genuine manner is highly likely to brighten the day and bring others along. And here's a simple suggestion. Turn off for the next few days that 24-hour cable news, whether it be left or right, political blogs on the Internet, and skip the political commentary and the editorial page in your local newspaper. Concentrate instead on helping others out in a worthwhile volunteer project at work, in your church, or in your community. And very soon you will discover that you are a very big person among those you love, care for, and serve. And here's an excuse common for those who recently lost a precious loved one or suffered through a traumatic event, and it's the last one we'll discuss today, And this excuse is, it hurts too much. Admittedly, if you're still grieving or dealing with recovery from a loss of a loved one, a job loss, 
or a natural disaster, life may be too painful at the moment uh, to consider an immediate attempt at renewal. Ten years ago, my wife and I lost our cherished daughter, Kristen, to a plane crash, so I can relate to the difficulty of dealing with tragedy, but I can only imagine how hard it must be to recover from the loss of a loving spouse and for the first time in years to face life alone. At best, I offer gentle suggestion that as soon as you are ready, a timely shift in focus from unrestrained grief to a thoughtfully defined plan for a proactive future may help shorten your period of extreme distress. As early as possible, take that first small step to recovery. Call your best friend. Make plans to attend a social function. Venture out to a movie or venture out to a movie or a ball game. Ease your own pain by helping others work through theirs. And this especially applies if you are a spouse and lost your life partner and you still have small kids or teens at home. They're grieving too, so you can concentrate on helping them. Remind yourself daily that your loved one is not coming back and your only realistic course of action is to move forward to actively plan out the remainder of your life and why not make it a positive experience. Seek whatever assistance is available and you may need to move, uh, and what you may need to move forward and following a natural disaster you could be uh, a leader in initiating a group in the community to recover together and if your company went under organize a job search club helping each of you out uh, in finding a new position and finally seek out a cause or take up that hobby or avocation that you've always wanted to try you know, as contradictory as it may seem, after you take as much time as needed to get over your initial grieving, the recovery phase of any life-altering loss or trauma may prove in hindsight an ideal point in time to launch personal midlife renewal. Unlike other procrastinators, those who suffer loss do not have the option of going back to the past or clinging onto the present. Your only realistic choice is to move forward to a proactive, positive future. And in conclusion, please don't any, let any of these eight procrastination excuses that we've discussed over the past two programs prevent you from moving forward to Act 3, the joyful, productive, yet stress-free life that you deserve. Please don't be like the old hound dog recently observed on a farm porch here in Iowa Periodically, without moving its body, the old dog would raise his head and let out a mournful woo-owl. <laughs> when a visitor inquired of the dog's owner what was wrong, the farmer answered that the hound was lying on a protruding nail on the porch, but simply did not suffer enough pain or have the initiative to move. You and I don't have to wait for an immediate crisis, job loss, traumatic illness, divorce, death of a loved one, to launch, then actively plan out and pursue your journey, uh, that journey to a joyful and fulfilling second half of life on your own terms. And best of success on your journey, and would you like some practical help along the way, don't forget my self-help book, A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, by Roy C. Richards. That's precisely what it is, a step-by-step -step health guide uh, to help you 
go from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow, Act 3, that wonderful relaxed living that we all deserve. And you'll find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and on our website, middleagerenewal.com. And that's our program for today. Thanks for joining in. Speak to you again next week on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 